TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, I hope I'm not spoiling anything for you, but I just wanted to let you know. Did you see the news? Cal beat Stanford 7-3. Uh, I'm sorry, Chris, did you not see the extra pip on my collar? That's Captain Rushing to you. You must be one of those special captains that gets to wear red. Yes, yes. Uh it's just a, it's a new it's a new thing we're just uh you know trying out here on the Enterprise and so yes. But thanks well, for spoiling the game for me so now I don't even have to watch it. <laughs> you don't have to watch it. All right. Well, uh I'll get back to you later and let you know what I think about that little uniform experiment that you're doing there. Okay. all right everyone as you can tell we're going to be talking about water polo all day today no not really we're going to be talking about the next episode in star trek enterprise season two as we go through our 20th anniversary rewatch this is the seventh which appropriately is the seventh episode of the season and here is a quick rundown of the story when t'pol receives a call from the vulcan high command Memories of her past life as a security operative begin to resurface. She is sent on a mission to apprehend a surgically altered man named Menos, the last of six rogue operatives she was sent after 17 years earlier. Or at least she remembered there being six, but actually there were seven, and she killed Menos's partner, Jocelyn, a fact that is only beginning to come back to her. Just after the incident, she underwent a Vulcan procedure to purge the memory. Here, she convinces Archer to go with her on the mission because she needs someone with her whom she trusts. And together with him and Travis, they capture Minos, but not without leaving a lot of property and emotional damage in their wake. So, Matthew, this is a very serious episode dealing into emotions with Vulcans, which can sometimes be unexpected, but with T'Pol, I think this story makes sense and helps develop her character, so that'll probably be our big theme today. But let's just start with secret agent T'Pol. What did you think about this revelation about her background and how it has affected her? Well, I'm just wondering what her secret agent pants looked like. Um <laughs> You know, and uh, but no, uh, in all seriousness, I was actually thinking about how this is somewhat similar to some of the things that we've seen storyline wise with Strange New Worlds, uh, with, you know, the rehabilitation of uh, people who have been criminals and whatnot. And so this idea of, you know, secret agent to Paul and the fact that she worked as an operative tracking these people down. Uh, was really interesting to me. And I think one of the things that it helps us remember is that, you know, T'Pol is much older than the rest of our crew, except for Flocks. So she has lived a lot more life than most of the people here. And so 
she's old enough at this point, actually, to have had a second career now. And that the events that we see play out in the past are the things that actually led her to joining the Vulcan Science Academy. And uh, because it was very traumatic for her, which, you know, I think what's very interesting is the way that which we're setting up that to Paul has these struggles with her emotions and the the concrete reasons for why they're more difficult for her to control maybe than other Vulcans. And so this is one more stepping stone in that story, uh, of course, especially as we all make our way towards, you know, season three. Yeah, yeah. I thought the introduction of this idea that she had something traumatic happen to her in the past and she had the emotions suppressed and then being able to see Jolene play that underneath the surface and how it built throughout the episode was a really nice addition to her character because the way that Jolene Blaylock plays a Vulcan has been a little bit different from the Mm -hmm. start. And I think that's something that a lot of viewers picked up on and maybe it didn't quite feel right for them. But for me, it worked well because we're dealing with earlier Vulcans. But the way that the storylines for her character have evolved over the course of season one and now into season two, and she's being written in a way that allows her to either display some emotion or show that she's suppressing something. And then also Mm -hmm. the influence that all the time that she is spending with humans is having on her which is something that Archer mentions to her at the end of the episode. You've been spending a lot of time with humans and seeing how that influences her makes for a much richer character. And the other thing that I found interesting about the storyline is, and it's not directly tied to, to Paul herself, though it could be if I think about it, it's the idea of how deceptive Vulcans are. This whole Mm -hmm. storyline of the fact that they sent undercover agents to infiltrate the government of this other world, and then they wanted to bring them back, and then they fabricate stories about some of them anyway, Mm -hmm. which we can talk about later to bring them back. There's just all this stuff going on in Vulcan society and Vulcan government that, of course, mirrors governments on Earth, but it's stuff that we didn't really think about Vulcans behaving this way prior to Enterprise. Right. But to see how being involved in that and seeing it from the inside and possibly buying into it at the time, how that affected T'Pol and then, as you mentioned, changed her, led her down this other path into this other career, also makes for a very rich character story. And also explains some of the apprehension, I think, that she has at the beginning of the episode, even before she remembers that she had killed this seventh operative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what's really interesting, too, is how the episode plays with our emotions. And and I think, especially for those of us who are Americans, we have kind of a healthy distrust of government 
mm-hmm. and uh, you know government agencies, and this plays upon those emotions as as well for us because I think we become inclined to believe Menos's story, mm-hmm. and. then they reverse that again, right? You know, and so I think that that's really, really interesting. And then also it's one of those things, like as you're saying, you know, here with the Vulcans, it it adds this real nuance and texture to them as a race because there are some questions there that we have as, uh, as, as fans, as we're watching this about their actions. And yet, the episode doesn't leave us, I think, really being able to truly feel one way or the other. Right. Because there's no concrete answer other than the fact that we know that Menos has been lying to T'Pol by the end. And so, but what does that actually mean for the rest of this that's been going on with the Vulcans, right? I, I Because it would be, I think wrong to just assume then that everything they were doing as the Vulcan security agency was correct, right? And so I just, I love the ambiguity to that. Um, And like you said, this is something then that truly plays upon to Paul as a character so much so that, you know, her having to take a life and her not quite sure whether or not that was actually necessary um, really plagues her. And obviously then too, I think by the end of the episode, she is given a sense of peace because we do find out that Menos has been the person that we thought he was and therefore his partner was as well. But this has been something that's been happening for her for so long. I mean, it's been over 17 years now since she was a part of the Vulcan... um, Security. And so I think that's just, there's so many nice layers here for this character, but also like for the Vulcans themselves. And and that's something that Enterprise has continued to just, you know, like a good cake. You just, there's one, there's another layer after that or an onion, you know, if you want to be like Shrek and talk about nobody likes (laughs) onions. Um, But that's exactly what we keep getting. And this is an episode, I think, that really does a great job of just adding to that. So it's interesting that you just said that Menos has been lying and therefore his partner was also guilty and was doing what they claimed as well, Mm -hmm. which is probably true, but it's also an assumption we don't know for sure. Yes. Yeah. Which is, I think, one thing that makes this all very interesting and makes the story a, a powerful message because all we have to go on here are the words of Menos, the words of Vulcan security, Topol's memories, and her admission that she didn't know what Jocelyn's intentions were mm-hmm. when she shot him. Right. Right. And that's another thing that I actually, I don't want to delve into it in the discussion today because I didn't prepare to talk about this topic or anything. But when we look 
at these stories 20 years later and we look at how they apply to society today, the whole thing about Topol shooting Jocelyn and all the discussions surrounding that in the episode relates to a big topic, especially in the U.S. these days, with how law enforcement reacts to people who they think are armed, who they think reached for a weapon, but they don't know for sure. So they're making a split second Mm -hmm. judgment call. And sometimes that means that they kill innocent people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it means that they were right and they protected themselves. And that, yeah, that has happened in American society, not just American society all around the world. And in many countries, it's much worse. That has happened for a long time. So it's not Mm -hmm. something that's new to today, but it has been a hot topic in recent years, whereas this story was written 20 years ago still very applicable to something that's going mm-hmm. on in yeah. society right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, there, and what I love though, is that what we do show is, is, you know, to Paul being plagued by her decision Yeah, because she does want to know, did she make the right, right. one? Yeah. And I think, I think that the episode does uh, leave us to believe at the end that she had made the right decision. Because we see that Menos has been lying to her and playing her, and which I, is another thing that we see, right? Is that people playing up that kind of distrust of institutions, distrust of government, distrust of of all of these things, even ourselves, right? And so that they can get away with what they want to by mm-hmm. making us feel guilty for things that we shouldn't feel guilty for. And so like right. I, I think you're absolutely right. This this episode I think has a very nuanced look at these different issues and it does still leave us with questions at the end, which I think is great. And so I really appreciate that uh, about the episode and I love the way that um Jolene plays it. I think she does such a fantastic job, and I I, I compare her to um, to other Vulcans. I, I specifically think of Leonard Nimoy and uh, of Ethan Peck now playing Spock, who both I think did very good jobs of that undercurrent of emotion. Yeah, and yeah. then when it came out and being very uncomfortable with uh, how to deal with it and so um yeah yeah, i i i really thought her performance here is what makes the episode so good and then of course you connect that with her bringing archer here because she trusts him enough to help walk her through this emotional turmoil to which she has no experience actually handling because she's right. a Vulcan, right? They just suppress their emotions. Yeah. So she needs somebody who she trusts, who she's seen handle difficult situations, difficult emotions on how to walk through this. And and it brings those two characters closer together in a way of bonding them with absolute trust. You know, by the end of this episode, I feel like we've bridged the gap all the way from... Archer never trusting Vulcans to having one now being somebody that is telling him, if you ever need something, I'm here for you no matter what. Yeah. 
the same way he was for her. And it's just there. It's such it's such a really good job. Again, we've talked a lot about this. We're in that second season. So we're building off of everything we've that's come before. And by getting here to this point, it's like, okay, we've created this absolute circle of trust between to Paul and Archer now that's never going to be broken. It's yeah. only, in fact, going to continue to get stronger as we move forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's one topic I wanted to touch on is how at the very beginning of this episode, the way that Archer is reacting, it almost felt like a throwback to his attitude towards T'Pol at the beginning of the series and through much of season one. But really, I think it was more his frustration, not with her, but with the Vulcans themselves, that there's something going on. They're being secret. The Admiral won't tell him what's going on either. And he's going to have to help the Vulcans. And he doesn't want to do that because he may be warming up to T'Pol, but he's not so much warming up to the Vulcans in general, at least not to the high command. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, that's what we were seeing play out. And then it becomes very clear that to Paul, they have become so close that to Paul is reaching out to him because he is that person who she feels she can trust and that's just such a leap from where they were at the beginning of the series, of course. But even like the end of season one, this is still a huge leap, a huge progress in their relationship. And especially for T'Pol warming up to humans. And in the story of Archer coming closer to accepting Vulcans through her, through his relationship with her. So mm-hmm. yeah, I really... I agree liked that aspect of the story you mentioned a moment ago that the story really works because of jolene's performance and i think the story works especially well not only because of her performance but because they paired her with bruce davison who Mm -hmm. did a phenomenal job of selling innocence while covering up guilt like yeah. playing both sides of that coin and doing it in a way that I think if you can remember the first time watching this episode, you pretty much buy in to his story and you you pretty much feel that, at least I did, that the government is making up these stories because they just want to get all these operatives back and they need some pretense to do that. And he's being victimized by the government, by Vulcan security. And he's obviously playing on T'Pol's emotions and even she is second guessing everything. And then in the end, it turns out he does have these biotoxins. And I, I thought that Davison's performance was, was really excellent. I think the real beauty in that is, again, the way in which his performance is tapping into our mistrust of governments at large. Yeah. And our, and especially, I think, you know, I know you've spent so much time in Japan now in your life, but you were raised in America, and that 
that there's a natural distrust we have just as Americans from the very beginning, right? I mean, even the way the American government is set up is with kind of a distrust of government that's too big and like doing things that you yeah, don't have I, any I, control over. So I think like, I would to, frame it a little bit differently, but with the same intention, just to to put somewhat positive view on it. I think it's set up to encourage a healthy questioning of what authorities are doing. A questioning of what sure. the government is doing. Yes. Because sometimes yeah. I worry that with words like distrust, especially in today's world, it becomes like a conspiracy thing. Not that that's what you're thinking, uh, but that's yeah, what yeah. some people twist right. it into. And so I think it's it's questioning because, you know, one thing that I see here, you know, I live in a country where the same party has been in power for all but a couple of years since the end of World War II, 70 something years. We have more parties than the U.S. has, but one party controls everything, the Liberal Democratic Party. And what I see here is a lot of apathy among voters that they just continue to accept and they don't question in the way that Americans question because the culture is different. And so I think that's how I would frame it is that uh, from its foundation, the United States is meant to be a society where people don't simply accept what a king would decree, for example, but rather they question. Yeah. 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 No. And I, I, maybe, maybe a better, uh, I think maybe way of putting that would be a healthy skepticism. Yeah. That's a great Um, way to put it. Yeah. You know? Uh, so I, I think, and, and yeah, that's really, it is definitely built into the American system and therefore it's kind of built into the American people. Uh, and, you know, and Star anybody, Trek is think, written largely by Americans. And so exactly. that's what we get in this story. Exactly. Well, yeah. and, and especially I think, um, that, you know, Star Trek of the, uh, original series era is definitely, in that framework, right? I mean, oh yeah, that yeah. that's that's straight from the '60s, you know. And there's even more skepticism, if not distrust, at that point. And I think even maybe by the way time this show is is being written is, is somewhat similar. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. I, I. But what's great is that Bruce Davidson is in the way he's performing and the story that he's telling is specifically tapping into that. From us, right? But it's also meant to tap in and plague on the emotions to which he, being a Vulcan who has not denied his emotions, but has been living in them, knows that somebody like Paul might not be able to handle as well. And so again, it's like this game within a game in the writing to which is getting us to be on his side, which is, I think, um, really well done. Yeah. So, definitely. and that's what Mike you were saying is is what makes it so easy to kind of be sucked into his story. Well, I think you could take this exact script. You could shoot everything exactly as they have here with two other actors, and the story might not work because if they don't sell the emotional side. If he doesn't sell the innocence that he's pretending to have, if she doesn't sell the emotional turmoil and the slow breakdown of mm-hmm. her ability to fulfill the mission, as Archer reminds her at the end, 
when she's going to let him get away. He says, do, do you said you trust me? Trust me. Like right. You were sent here to bring him back to Falcon. You weren't sent here to judge him. So your mission mm-hmm. is not to decide if he's guilty or innocent. Your mission is simply to apprehend him and bring him back. Right. And then other people will decide based on that. And if I thought Jolene sold that breakdown of control so well mm-hmm. and finally got to that point. And then Archer snaps to Paul back into reality. And then they're able to find out because of that, they're able to find out that, yeah, he actually does have the biotoxins. Well, and I think that there's that question in there too for her is that, and and Archer is 100% right, that's why there's a differentiation of powers, right? They're mm-hmm. the investigators just meant to bring these people in. They're not meant to be judge, jury, and executioner. Right. And and therefore, having her feelings plagued upon by somebody who is doing it on purpose to make her question everything when it's not her job to necessarily question everything. She's just bringing that person in to allow those whose job that is to do to do. And that's the beauty there again, where he plays upon the thought process that this hasn't been handled correctly, that they're mistreating people. Again, it's all of these things that are in the back of our brain. Like, Mm -hmm. You know, when we misconstrue the ideas of like um, uh, anything in history and we make it even bigger than it was, you know, um, whether I, I don't know, there's plenty of things in there. You know, we all call the Middle Age or the Dark Ages. Are, were they really that? No, but it, it's it's a story that we've been told and we just buy it. And so um, same yeah. thing here. I, I think she's just she's being sold the story. And he almost has her. And it's Archer is the one who actually kind of talks through her very logically with with what the mission is and what she's being asked yeah. to do, which is is a really interesting thing. And and that's one of the things I think really again what we talked about, it bonds them together. Yeah. Well, Archer can do that because he is looking in from the outside. And that's the other layer right. to the story, is that Menos is not just playing off of those things, but he's also playing off of T'Pol's guilt because he knows that she killed his partner. And especially when he, I think, when he realizes that she doesn't remember, that gives him another weapon to work with because then he can shape that memory if she remembered everything that happened, it would be easier for her to debunk his claims. Right. But because she had that memory suppressed, he sees that it's resurfacing. She doesn't remember everything. And then he can use that to further manipulate her. And it's that personal connection. If the Vulcans had sent someone else, they would have just 
taken him into custody and it would have all been over. But because they sent her and she has that personal connection to what happened on Riza, it really complicates everything, but it allows the writers to tell a story that is more identifiable, I think, to us as individuals and also connects with, you know, other things in life. If you look these days at you and I often talk about how people can't talk to each other anymore. We can't talk about issues anymore because everything has become too divided and too driven by emotions instead of actual information Mm -hmm. and actual facts. And I think that's yet another layer of this story is it showing how facts are important and if your reaction is always driven by emotion, if it's always driven by your view of a topic, which is natural for humans, of course, to judge situations based on their views, but to really solve problems, to really advance society and make the world better for everyone, you have to be able to step away from those emotions sometimes and look at the actual issue and the actual facts and then be able to see it from multiple sides and then discuss that without falling into the trap that T'Pol almost falls into at the end of this episode where she lets Mm -hmm. her personal experience and feelings override the reality of the situation. Well, I love that you're saying that because I think it's 100% true the emotionalism that drives us. And that's exactly what Menos is trying to get her to. Like you Mm -hmm. said, especially since he realizes that she suppressed that memory. And I think one of the things that it shows is the danger of just trying to forget things and not actually learn from them and grow from them. The way that Archer talks about, you know, humans, we don't have that ability. So we have to learn to, learn from things that happen to us and then find a way to healthily let them go. And that there's a difference between that and just trying to forget something and not deal with it. And that whole idea of there is a, there, the truth of the matter, like the truth of the matter is, is that to Paul, in that moment, didn't know what was going to happen, but she did sense that it was either him or her, and she chose her in the line of duty. Um, that's not an easy thing to do, though, right? And therefore, it causes her emotional t- toil and everything. But instead of working through that emotion and, and learning to find a way of acceptance... You know, she tries to just deny it. And it's like, we can't deny our our past. We, we need our past, as Kirk would say. I need my pain because it helps me to move forward. It, it, it informs who I am. It informs maybe mistakes I've made or painful things that have happened to me or uh, all uh, lessons I've learned. And then it, 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 it creates a better version of me because I find a way you know, to overcome it. And so uh, there's so much, I think this episode is really doing there and it's speaking to so many different things that are so relevant even to today. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there, there's a lot going on in here as we've been talking about. So let's, before we 
wrap up, I wanted to shift gears to the lighter side of what's going on in the episode because I did enjoy this as well. And this is the temporary captain. So we've got all this serious stuff going on with T'Pol, with Minos, with Archer. And because Archer's off the ship, then we have Trip playing captain for a few days. And he goes all out with food and beer and water polo. And he invites Malcolm and Flocks in to eat with him like Archer does with the crew sometimes. And the aspects of the character are fun. But I also have a serious question to ask you about it, which is, how did you read Trip beyond the comic relief aspect of it, experiencing the demands of being a captain and how that contrasts with how Archer uh, behaves in that role and and how does it show how Archer's grown into that role? And I feel, I think we've talked about this before, like the maturity level between Archer as a leader and Trip and the other crew members as leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is very interesting because I think it is one of those moments where you get a, a silly reminder of heavy is the head that wears the crown. And you you get that lesson here, uh, you know, I think Trip gets a real understanding of what it means to be captain and the the amount of decisions. It's not just getting you know a nice uh, place to eat mm-hmm. and um, being able to watch water polo. I really appreciate that they kind of show this character uh, a new appreciation for what it means to be captain and how difficult that is. And I think this is one of those things where you know. Trip is on a journey as well in this show because he's one of the triumphant here and his is becoming more mature. And yes, you know, he is a little bit younger than Archer and so that he's he's a few years behind in that developmental stage of of being uh, um a leader, you know. And and yet he has somebody, obviously, we can see very good to learn from as an example. And so I, I did. I really liked uh, that. It's it's definitely silly. And it's good to have some of that because the rest of this episode is so serious. But I think it is a, just a great moment for him. Uh, and I really, I, I thought it was fun. So Yeah, I think they gave us just enough of lightness to prevent the episode from being too overwhelming with the serious subject matter, but they didn't overdo it. You know, it's not too silly. It's just stuff like he gets peppered with questions and he has to say, I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you because it's hard to make a decision. You know, this one thing that I, I learned as a editor in chief of magazines that sometimes, especially when it gets really busy in production, people are asking you, questions constantly and you have to just make a decision you 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 can't think about well okay i'll get back to you later i'll decide which photo i want to use or which writer we're going to use or should you send this now you just have to in the moment just make a decision and own the decision 
And I think that that's something that Archer makes look effortless, probably to Trip. But once Trip is in that chair, he realizes that wow, there's a lot of there. There are a lot of little things that I have to make a decision on, and people want a yes or no right now. They don't want mm-hmm. me to get back to them later. And I think Trip isn't able to see all that we see, obviously, because we spend some time with Archer that he doesn't get a chance to observe. And Mm -hmm. I don't think, I mean, even this episode, we were talking about the struggle of Archer with his frustration with the Vulcans and all, you know, he's not having an easy time of it, you know? And so we do get to see there, he's still struggling in his role as captain and trying to rise above sometimes, you know, and not let things get to him still and, and, and how difficult that is. And, and so Trip just gets a, a small taste of some of those types of things. And I, I think it's, I think it's good because it, it gives us an opportunity to not only see what Archer has been going through, but also just to kind of see what his daily life is like. He's in the middle of eating, interrupted three times. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like just how frustrating that could be. Um, and part of that, I think, it too, is that obviously it's Archer and T'Pol gone. And some of those questions might have gone to T'Pol. But since that's, he, you know, Trip is, is not only uh, acting captain, but there's one less person in rank there as well. Mm-hmm. And so he, he he's like, well, that's the only guy to go to. So. Yeah. I think the other thing is that when you work in a particular department for trip engineering, you're focused on decisions that involve your area of expertise. Whereas when you're the captain, it's just random stuff coming at you all the time. Yeah. Yep. That's true. So yep. You get overloaded with things. So I, I thought this was also just a nice way to show that and especially to show that in the early days of Starfleet, because I'm sure that in the 24th century, of course, the training is far more extensive after they have hundreds of years of of experience in space and they know what to deal with. And here they're still learning as they go, as we always talk about. So that was a nice little aspect of the story. All right. Well, final thoughts and ratings. What do you have for this one? You know, I I believe this episode has a reputation in fandom as not being very good, but I would yeah. completely disagree. And I really enjoyed rewatching this episode. I thought it was, as we talked about, just a, a wonderful episode of giving us some understanding of these characters, especially to Paul, the Vulcans, even Archer. Uh, Mayweather gets some nice moments in this episode too, which is which is really nice. Uh, and so, I. I got to say, I think this is four out of five bottles of evil biosynthetic material. (laughs) Okay. That sounds like something I'd find in the lair of a James Bond villain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do think this episode is considered by a lot of fans to not be good. And in fact, some people consider it to be terrible, I think. And... It's an episode for me that, although I've seen it many times, I don't think back to it very often. And when I do, I don't always remember the storyline as well as I probably should. 
And I think that reflects while the subject matter is very important and the performances are great and the exploration of the issues has that grayness to it, that ambiguity that I like, which is one reason I love Deep Space Nine. I think it also results in a story that may feel bland to a lot of viewers. And that might be the reason why people, when they remember, oh yeah, the seventh, yeah, that episode was not very good. It may be because they don't remember the details very well, is the case with me often with this episode. And also it may be that's kind of slow when they're watching it. And it's an episode that I found you have to really sit down and watch it. You know, I have this tendency because I've seen all the episodes of Star Trek so many times. I have this tendency to turn on episodes and just let them play when I'm working and I can still absorb the story fairly well because I know it. But this is one where if it's playing in the background, which I did in preparation for this, I just don't get enough of it. And so I have to really sit down and watch it and pay attention, which I also did in preparation for this. So it's one of those kinds of episodes. One other thing I wanted to mention, though, I'm thinking back to when this first aired. And at that time, we were not far removed from the end of Seinfeld. And so when Bruce Davison appeared in this episode, I remember just thinking, hey, that's Wick Thayer. I wonder which of Susan's dolls he's going to sell off. And that's why the Vulcan security wants him, because... You may remember he played the character Wick Thayer in Seinfeld, who was the person who oversaw the Susan Ross Foundation. Susan was George's fiance who died, right? So I was used to him in this comedic role. And then I see him here in this very serious thing. And I know he had done other stuff before, but that's just where I knew him from best at the time that I first saw this. So that's that's my memory anyway of early days of watching Enterprise. So um, anyway, like you said, though, I think this is a really great episode, in fact. And I think people who think that it's bad should go back and really watch it and think about what's being discussed here and watch the performances. So I'm going to give this one seven false accusations plus two that turn out to be true. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> All right, everyone, we would love to hear your thoughts on the seventh. There are many ways for you to share those with us. Perhaps the best way is to go to the Babel Conference on Facebook. That is our listeners group. If you're already a member, you know how it works. But if not, and you'd like to join, just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right on up. If not, just type the whole name, the Babel Conference. And it is a closed group, so if you're joining, please answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. We do that because we want it to be an extension of our discussions on the podcasts to engage listeners. So we want it to be a listeners group, not just a generic Facebook group, because there are plenty of those. And if you would like to send us email, you can also do that. Just go to our website, trek.fm slash contact, choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5. And that will come to Matthew and me by email. And in social media, on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere, you can find us under the username TrekFM. All right, Matthew, when you're not busy stacking those eerie-looking green water bottles that some people might think are biotoxin, but actually it's just Gatorade, where can people find you? 
Yeah, just just Gatorade, just Gatorade. <laughs> uh, but uh, when I'm not doing that, you can find me on uh, social media under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. So Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, Vero, all of those types of places. Uh, you can also find me, of course, here on the network on a side of the network we have called the Six Hundred Two Club that doesn't have to do with Star Trek. Just about all of those other fandoms we love. So I hope you'll check that out. And then doing literary treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We're doing. The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Chris, you and I love doing that together. And then we've also got Saddle Up, where we talk about uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds and the Artificial Tango, all about Star Trek Picard. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, I've got a completed show called Owl Post. I did that with Dre Kaufman. Talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then last but not least, Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills is a Star Wars podcast. And if you love Star Wars, that is the show for you. But Chris, you know, when you're not trying to figure out what you're going to do with all of those injector casings, where can people find you? (laughs) I was thinking about that when I was watching, actually. I'm like, that's a lot of spent injector casings. And what would you do with those? And But uh, I I have some plans, Lego-inspired plans, and I will reveal those in the future. And when I'm not working on those, you can find me here on the network doing the shows which you mentioned that you and I do together. Also, Larry Nemechek and I do the Ready Room from time to time, and there's Interface, and I'm in many episodes in many shows in the back catalog of the network. So if you'd like to hear more of my thoughts on Star Trek, just check those out. And if you'd like to chat about Star Trek or whatever, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. That is my name everywhere in social media, but Twitter is where I'm most active. And I'd love to hear from you there. If you'd like to help us keep this show and everything that we're doing on the network going, we could definitely use your help. If you'd like to find out how to get involved and support us, please visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. We would not be here without you. It takes a great deal of money to produce and distribute these shows. And I want to send a huge thank you to everyone who's supporting us now. And if you're not, I do hope that you will consider doing so. We definitely could use your help. So thank you very much, everyone. Well, Matthew, I'm going to start packing my bags for our next discussion. And hopefully I won't forget anything important. I, I hate it when I leave stuff laying around. Chris, that is absolutely the worst. So I hope you'll be able to find that. But until then, I don't know. Let's go. Recording. Recording. All right. The Paul's spy pants. <laughs> Secret agent pants. Secret Asian pants. Secret Asian pants. <laughs> <laughs> I want that to be the title of the episode. We'll have to work that in somewhere. <laughs> uh, there you go. I just right. know it's going to turn up as a stinger at the end. <laughs>